Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, please speak to us this morning. Help us to learn, to be changed, transformed, to be more like our Lord and Savior. Lord, equip and encourage us in every area of our life to live kingdom first every day of every week of every year for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. This box that I am holding, which is not real large, but it is a box that I want my life to fit in. I don't mean my possessions, because there's no way my possessions are going to fit in here. What I mean is I want all of the things that I do and the situations that I go through, uh, the relationships that I have, I want them all to fit nice and neatly in here so that I understand them. I want everything to have parameters that make sense to me. That when something happens, I can go, oh yeah, that fits right here. I get why that's going on, that's perfect. When somebody acts a certain way, I can go, oh yeah, no, I, I get that, no problem, that fits right there. Um, I want my life to be really understandable, really defined, because it'd be so much easier. And yet, life keeps happening. Situations keep coming up that they don't seem to quite fit in my box. And they can be really big things, and sometimes they're just really little things where I recognize that so we were doing the weekly engagement questions with my kids last week. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, um, please read your email. <laughs> or use the push that comes to you on Monday. Um, those questions are really intended to help all of us continue to engage with what we're learning. Um, and, and they're helpful. So we're sitting with our times to do this. And here's what happens. We've decided we probably need two times to do this because our kids have about a five minute attention span and then things just to, to start degenerating <laughs> quickly. Um, but sometimes they're kind of fun. And we're asking the question about, so which of the commandments do you struggle with? And, and I, I know mine. Uh, my daughter knows some of hers. And, and my four year old says, well you know, when, when you pee and you have to flush the toilet, I don't remember that commandment. <laughs> but, but he's got a whole other way of looking at life. He's got wholly other categories. He's got things that don't fit my perfect categories. Like, no, that's not a commandment. Like, there's 10 of them, that's not one of them. That, that doesn't fit here in my box. Um, from everything that is really small to hurricanes. There's just life that keeps happening. And, and, and what do we do? when it's not fitting. Israel this morning, they're at a point where their box is not big enough and it's gonna trip them up. Open your Bible, if you would, to Exodus 32. 
Exodus 32. We're starting in verse 1, and we're going to start by reading really about a half a verse, because this is where their problem starts. This is when their box begins to be too small. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, now that doesn't sound like much to us, but you need to have a little background to get why that would be significant. The Israelites have spent all of their lives outside of the last approximately a year where Moses is doing the plagues and about three months of travel from the Red Sea to right now. They've spent all of their lives outside of that with Egyptian gods. Okay, the way the gods work is you can see them, you can touch them, you can take an idol, and, and you just know there's certain things I need to do for this idol to respond to me, and it makes sense. So here's my idol, I'm gonna do my prayers, I'm gonna make my sacrifice, whatever I gotta do to make this idol respond. And then along comes Yahweh, and you, you can't see him. And not only can you not see him, but he's one God. He's not God of this and that and this. With spiders, I'm gonna pray a problem with the Nile, so we're gonna pray to this God. We got a problem with the crops, so we're gonna pray to this God. I got a problem with spiders, I'm gonna pray to this God. There's one. How can there only be one? One God, I can't see him, and he absolutely forbids that we even make an image of him. Like he won't let us, because he is telling us that there's nothing, nothing in our existence that is like him. And who's the one person who seems to understand something about this God? Moses. For them, it's like, we don't know what's going on. Like, we don't have a category. We don't have a category for this God. He doesn't fit in anything. This God is so far outside of our box that we don't know what to do. It's not our experience. It's not our background. It's not anything we've ever been taught before. And it's radically different. Do you remember when the um, icon on your uh, iPhone for music looked like an iPod? It was a few iOSs ago, but it used to look like an iPod. And at one point, when my daughter was five or six, I was trying to teach her how to dial 911, because I figured she's getting to that age, and at some point, I just I wanted to know how to do it. And she already knew things like, I could say, open up the iPhone. Do you know how weird that would sound if we were talking about an old-fashioned phone? Open up the phone. But she knows that language because that's her background, that's her experience. She doesn't think to go grab tools and try to open up the iPhone. She knows to swipe, which also is language that, swipe? What does that have to do with a phone? But we all know that's exactly, you swipe the thing open. And I said, now, click on the phone icon. She clicks on it and I said, now, dial 911. And she's staring at the phone. I'm like, honey, why are you staring? Just dial 911. Uh, there's no numbers. What do you mean there's no numbers? I grabbed the phone. It's just music. I said, I close it. I said, now, honey, hit the phone icon and just dial 911. She hits an icon. Hey, Daddy, there's just music again. Like, what are you doing? And, and please forgive me. I'm thinking, are you dumb? <laughs> and then 
I look at it and go, why are you not hitting the phone icon? Now the phone icon on iPhone still looks like an old phone. And she's like, what is that? She had never seen a phone before. Because we have iPhones. We don't even have a landline. We have not had a landline. And so she has no category that looks like that. All she knows is this thing looks like my phone. They have no category. This is done, right? To fit Yahweh into. And Moses, you know what Moses has done, right? He has walked up onto a mountain into a cloud where they can't see him and into fire that they know is the divine presence of the Almighty. And he's been gone for 40 days. Do you think he's coming back? That's where they're at. I mean, you can imagine, like, a couple days go by. I guess he's coming back at some point. A week, two weeks, three weeks. I think something's probably happened to him. Four weeks, five weeks. He's still not coming back down that mountain. And at some point, you start going, what are we gonna do? Like, I, I, I don't know what to do. I am confused, I am lost. That's where they're at. They don't know what to do because what's happening to them, it doesn't fit. Have you had those circumstances? Have you had those relationships where you get to a point and the anxiety starts mounting? The confusion, I'm kinda lost, I need something to happen but like I, 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 I don't know what to do because I just don't have the category to fit this into it. That is where they are at. And they're not alone. There are a number of people in scripture that have had this issue. Job. Here's, here's a brief synopsis of Job. Ignore chapters one and two where God and Satan have their whole thing because Job doesn't know any of that, right? Here's Job's situation. He is being attacked. He is having all of these terribly awful, atrocious things happen to him. And you know what? He has been faithful. We know that because God says it. He has been faithful. Now, here is Job's theology in a box. If I am good, God will bless me. And if things are going wrong, it's because I've sinned. That's his theological category that fits inside the box. Here's the problem. He hasn't sinned, and yet he's suffering. He's been faithful, and yet he's suffering. Well, that, that doesn't fit in this box. And all the way through, it's the friends who have the same theology. Job, you must have done something wrong. Like, that's the reason you're having this. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening to you. And Job is going, I haven't. Like, I've made the sacrifices. I've been following y'all. No reason for this to be happening to me. It's pulled right outside of the box. And it happens to multiple people throughout the Bible. John the Baptist, when he's in prison, and he may get his head chopped off at any point, and he sends people to Jesus to go, Wait, are you the one? Because what Jesus is doing and what's happening to John, that, that's outside of his box. I mean, you remember John's preaching? Fire and brimstone. Judgment is coming. Okay, that's in the box. That's not happening. 
In fact, the opposite is happening. He's in prison, and he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out or if he's going to die, and Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. It's outside of the box. When the disciples in Acts, they say, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? That's their box. And Jesus is like, that's not for you to know the times. We got something else to do. What do you mean you got something else to do? There's nothing more important than that. That's, we got to do that. That's central. Jesus has something else going on. And it's not in their box. Even Judas had a box as the zealot. We're going to start a revolution. We're going to kick the Romans out. And you're going to do it. I've seen your power. We're going to go do this. And then you know what happens to Jesus. Well, that, that certainly isn't in the box. What happens when life doesn't fit into our theological boxes? What do we do? How do we respond to that? Let me show you how they responded. Look back in your Bible. This is their response. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, now let me just tell you, their response is control. When the situation is beyond what fits my parameters, when it's uncomfortable, when I'm confused, when I don't have answers, when I don't know what's going on, they're gonna try to control the situation. And they're gonna do it with half obedience. Here's what I mean. If you go back before Moses goes up on the mountain, here's what he tells them. I am coming back. If you have any issues before I come back, go to Aaron. Well, guess what? They're gonna go to Aaron because they have a problem. They are gonna go to Aaron because he's the tangible one. That's easy. He's right there. I can see it. I'm gonna go. But the second half of that, trust that I'm going to come back. They're not doing that. They are going to seize control. Here's how they do it. For us, as for this, they gathered themselves to Aaron and they said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, bring them to me. So all the people, they took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, they brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and they fashioned it with a graving tool and they made a golden calf they made an idol, much like they're used to. What they know, what they understand, more importantly, what they have some control over. This was our experience in Egypt. We're gonna fall back into it. Keep going. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, it's kind of an odd thing there. You have a single idol. You have a plural gods. It is Elohim, in Hebrew, which is a plural word, but it refers to God as a singular. Probably a similar thing here. O Israel brought you out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made the proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to thee. And if you have your Bible open and you're looking at this, look at the word Lord. It's all in caps. That is the way that your English Bible translates the Hebrew word Yahweh. That's not a generic name like God. That actually is God's name. Like coming out of the book of Exodus, 
When Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? Yahweh, that's my name. So here they are with this idol saying, tomorrow will be a feast to Yahweh. Understand what they've done. They are not, in their minds, they are not turning away from Yahweh. They're not going back to some idols. They are refashioning Yahweh into what they understand. God fit in their box. We don't understand what this guy Moses was talking about. We don't get God how he's doing it and now we're scared and he's not coming around. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna fashion God to fit what is comfortable, what makes sense. This is how one author put it. David McCullough in a book called The Trivialization of God, he says this about this scene. They wanted a God who would stay put, a God who would be useful as they journeyed toward whatever the future held. So they imagined a different deity and making their imagination concrete, they fashioned a golden calf. They did not think they had abandoned the God who saved them, but they refashioned God to fit their expectations and to service their desires. How often are we doing that? How often, we're not, we're not completely turning away from God. We're not going and like saying, okay, I'm gonna become Hindu or Muslim or, we're not doing that. Instead, when our box cannot contain our understanding of what is happening, our understanding of what God wants from us, we just begin to rationalize and to explain God in some other way that might fit. We begin to fashion something that makes more sense, that's more comfortable, that might be more like what our expectations are, more like what we would desire God to be like. I would argue that we do something like this. Come on up. That we take this God who it would be so nice if he would just be what we want him to be. It would be so nice if he would just fit our expectations. If we could somehow take all of our situations and our experiences and the relationships we have and we could just fashion them into something that, that makes perfect sense to us. And I think what we do is we do something like this. Hey, Aaron's gonna play a small piece of Bach. Hey, introduced Bach last year, or last week, now we're gonna have a little bit more. And I just, I want you to listen to this piece, just a small portion of it. Is beautiful, but it is also 
complex. It's, it's in a minor key. And, and sometimes there are things about God in certain situations that I want to make more comfortable. And so, for example, sometimes I just need God to be more happy-go-lucky. And so I'm gonna take that piece, actually Aaron is, and she's gonna make it major instead of minor. Here's the same piece, but now happy. God's getting a little better. He's happy now. He's not quite as down, you know, not quite as serious. However, he's still kind of complex. I mean, you hear some of the chordal things in there, like it's a little bit messy. It's kind of, I want it to be simpler. I want God to be simpler. So let's make it simpler. Now we're happy, we're simple, but there's one other thing. Sometimes, and maybe you have never experienced this, I feel like God moves a little too slow. Like I'd like things done quicker. I mean, just like speed it up, God, and a better timeline. So let's speed it up too. There we go. Are we good now? God is happy, God is simple, and God is quick. What have we lost? I mean, that's okay. That's not bad. It's it, it, it. What have we lost in doing that? Listen to the piece again. little simple fast major thing is not that it's a very small part of what that is and so while I get what I wanted I get the happy and I get the simple and I get the faster what have I lost and every time we try to refashion God because we don't get it because it's uncomfortable, because he's doing something we don't like or can't explain, we start to lose the fullness of who God is. And here's why we need that. Because what their response was is control. Now, I don't know about you, but that is like a default for me. I mean, things start going wrong, what do I do? Let me try to explain it. Let me look for a rational reason why this all makes sense and how it all flows together. 
If somebody's acting weird, I'll figure out how to take care of that situation. I'm also really good at half obedience, much like them. I pray, and for like 10 minutes, I have no anxiety. And then boom, I got the anxiety and I'm ready to go control things again. What's the alternative? A raw, unfiltered, radical, childlike trust in the living God that does not require us to understand, does not require God to explain how everything is going to work, why it's working the way it is. Because our, expl- our explanations, they end up ringing hollow anyway. Let me tell you, control will never fully satisfy you. Because you cannot contain what God is doing in our systematic theologies. We cannot contain him in all of the things we think we understand. He is so much bigger than that. Listen to this passage out of Isaiah. We've all heard this. I know we have. In one way or another, you've heard this passage. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now for a minute, let's not just give this lip service. Let's take it for what it says. That what God is about is so much higher than what we can comprehend that we will never understand it fully, ever, even in eternity, because we will never be eternal, self-existent beings like God is. So if that's true, why is it that we seek so much to control? And the ways we control, we control by trying to explain things away. I mean, how many times have you heard things, you know, well, there's evil in the world, and you know, well, God's supposed to be good and all-powerful, and you find yourself on the defensive. You cannot give a perfect explanation for that. You can't. There isn't one. No matter how much you wanna work with free will and fallen man and sinfulness, there's still questions. Let me see if I can drive this home. Armando and Carmen, grandparents. They have kids, they have grandkids. They were in Napa Valley two days ago. While they were with their family, playing a board game, and ironically, and there's nothing really funny about this, but the game they were playing is sorry. While they were playing the game, the fires just came on. And by the time they were able to get up and recognize everything was going on, the house across the street was totally an inferno. They jumped in cars, they tried to get out of the neighborhood. Reef fell and blocked the road. The car wouldn't keep going. Eventually they had to get out. And the grandfather said, we gotta run, Armando said, we gotta run back to the pool and get in the pool. They got in the pool together. They were in the pool for six hours 
waiting for somebody to come and rescue them. And in order to try to keep themselves below the water, he kept having to hold on to the deck, which was burning his hand. And he'd hold his wife and he would push them underwater and at times all they could do is just lift up and let their lips breathe. There were moments where they would come up for just a moment to get more of a breath and go back down. Two hours before the fire department finally got to them, she stopped responding. And he held on to her lifeless body for two hours until they got there. Do you know what they were doing when they came up out of the water? They were praying. They were asking God to rescue them. And he didn't. Don't give me some rational, perfect explanation for why that is true. Don't try to explain to me, well, there's free will and there's fallenness and there's sin. I don't care. Explain the hurricanes. Explain the earthquakes. Let's get closer to home. If you've been following Facebook, Anton made it 100 days. That should have been it. And then he went back to the hospital to get his lungs drained and they're still trying to figure out what's wrong. And on top of that, Christy's father just passed away. She's flying out this morning to go see him. We don't have explanations for those things. Not explanations that are gonna sit well in our souls. That we can just go, oh yeah, let me give you my rational thought. Here's what God was doing. Here's why this happened and everything is okay. We don't have that. But we are not called to have that. If you start following the people that are crying out to God in scriptures, they're not going, here's the rational explanation for why this took place. They are crying out, God help. What are you doing? Why is this happening? And I know you may not ever tell me, but I don't care. I'm gonna trust you anyway. I know the things in many of the lives here where you had no control over it. The sicknesses, the things going on with your kids, you have no control over that. And you cannot just sit at night and be like, well, that was just God's will for my life. I'm, I'm good with that. I got no problems with it. I mean, and actually, really what God was trying to do is he was trying to glorify himself. Sometimes those explanations don't cut it. What we need is a radical trust in God that recognizes his ways are higher than our ways always. And we will not always get the explanation. We will not always get God just... Here's how it perfectly lays out. Can you trust God anyway? In fact, can you just trust this is our God who is above all things and I don't know what in the world he is doing, but I'm gonna trust him when it hurts. I'm gonna trust him when I feel betrayed I'm gonna trust him when I have nothing else. It can be done. There's a man named John Cavanaugh. He's a Jesuit priest. 
And during his Jesuit formation back in the 70s, he had to go through a month of, of training, very intensive training. And he did that training by going to Calcutta to go be with Mother Teresa. He wanted to get as dark and as down there with the poor as he could get in his training as a Jesuit. And he has two very profound experiences that he remembers from that time that he writes about. One of them is one of the first things he saw her do. He came into the home and, I mean, there are people just everywhere. And people so weak. I mean, they're going to die. They're just trying to make the end of their life somehow better. And there was one man in particular that they were trying to, trying to get him to eat. And the workers could not get this guy to respond at all. And he said, Mother Teresa walked over to this man, knelt down, lifted up his head, and he opened his eyes to look at her. And she began to help him just eat a little tiny bit. And he said, nobody could do that like she could. That whatever it was, her faith, her commitment, her whatever it was, she could do something that none of the rest of us seemed to be able to do. And he said, when she was feeding this starving man, he said, later, I would watch her take communion and she looked like that starving man. She needed the Lord as badly as that man needed food at that moment. And this was his second remembrance. Toward the end of his time, he came to her and he asked for prayer. He said, will you pray for me? She said, what do you want me to pray for? He said, for clarity. You see, he'd been training to be a professor and a Jesuit, and he was trying to decide, do I go back to America? Do I stay here? What do I do? And he wanted clarity. Now, how many of you want clarity? I mean, I want clarity, God. I want it in so many areas, I want clarity. She immediately said, no, I will not pray for that. He said, I began to complain because, I mean, she clearly has clarity. I mean, she clearly is like, she knows what she's doing, she knows why she's here. I mean, her work, in order to do this work, how could you not have that? And she said to him, I have never had clarity. I only have trust. I will pray that you trust. And if you know anything about her life, she struggled mightily with her faith. She struggled with what is God doing? Why am I here? Why all the suffering? And yet all the way through, it was trust. It wasn't clarity. And just think about her situation. How in the world could you ever have clarity in that situation? You're watching people die for decades around you. And all you can do is try and make it a little bit more peaceful for them. She trusted. She didn't have clarity. This is what uh, John said. The most indelible thing about Mother Teresa was her insistence that the greatest need in life is greater trust in God. Not understanding, not explanation, trust. Starting from a point of trust. This little box 
this was my box when I came to Christ. I came to Christ in high school. Um, I spent about a year studying really hard. I wanted to understand God a lot. And I had my systems of theology, my understandings of God and the way God worked with the world, they fit right here. And then I went to seminary. And when I went to seminary, um, my box got bigger. And, and as we studied God, I realized God was just so much bigger than what I thought he was. In fact, I, I came into seminary thinking I knew everything and I was just gonna get a degree so I could go be a pastor or something and realized how much I did not know. Like, I didn't even know what questions to ask in some cases. And it just grew. Well, then I got out of seminary and I went into ministry and I started dealing with people. Oh my goodness. I mean, when you start dealing with people, you recognize that, like, you need a bigger box. I mean, whatever it is God is doing, whatever it is people are going through, like, it's bigger than what I thought it was. Seminary did not quite prepare me for what it takes to actually deal with people. And then, my daughter got cancer. I didn't know what the hell to do with that. She's 10 months old. What, what did she do? What, couldn't you pick on somebody a little older? I mean, she's got all of her life. And then you go into children's hospital. You see all these kids. They have cancer and leukemia and you're like, God, what, what is happening? Like I, and it still wasn't big enough. It still didn't fit. And then I've gone through the last 11 years and I've watched all of the natural disasters and I've watched my friends go through all of these terrible things and, and it just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. There is a single answer. There are no boxes. None. We know a few things about God because he's revealed them. We say them in the creed. They're very simple, they're very basic. They're a little about his character. But when it comes right down to it, we need to start with trust and then move where God takes us. Move where he leads. When we don't understand, when we're upset by it, when we don't get it, but all of our lives, moving, I mean, listening to what Mother Teresa said, that trust, we need it. I read a book this week that had some impact on this message. It's interesting that I read it at this point um, because it so was key into this message. 
But something he said I want to leave you with because we're going to use it in a minute. He said, the problem with our word believe is just so intellectual. We can believe in all kinds of things. It doesn't necessarily mean we do anything about it. And he said, the problem is we've taken our understanding of believe and we end up putting that into scripture so that whenever you read the word believe in scripture, we come away with some intellectual thing of like content. Like I need to know certain things. I need to intellectually accept certain things. But that's, that's not the main idea. The main idea is trust. And in 90% of cases, you can take the word believe in scripture and substitute the word trust and you'll have a better idea of what's actually going on. At the heart of Christianity is trusting Christ for your salvation. Let me ask you, do you actually understand the incarnation? God became man. Do you actually understand the resurrection? We trust even before we understand because we will never fully understand. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know you are loving. We've seen it in your word. We know it through your son. Lord, help us to trust the king's love. Help us to trust in all ways, in all circumstances, in radical, unfiltered, raw, childlike ways because we don't have enough answers. If we wait for the answers, we will never fully trust because we just don't have all the answers. Lord, help us radically trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.